Hey friends, Lisa Joe here. Before we even get properly started today, I'm popping in to sit down and give you a little PS. Now, I know those usually come at the end of a letter, but here at the beginning, I wanted to let you know there are a few technical issues we had with Christy's microphone recording a couple of these summer episodes. We're asking for grace and that you bear with us and love us anyway, even though there might be a few more crackles than we would have liked. Christy's on the road right now in Chicago, and we weren't able to re-record, so I'm popping in with this disclaimer and a plate of your favorite summer fruit salad, or maybe it's brownies that you like, to bribe you into loving us anyway, here in the middle of our completely ordinary technical issues with a couple of these episodes. Thank you in advance. Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. This week, I share a story Lisa Jo has never heard before, and it's all about what may be my most memorable party ever. Christy, my mouth was watering by the end of this episode, and I hope it inspires you listeners to make that recipe you've always dreamed about or to savor the elevated ordinary in all new ways. Get comfy, friends. Here we go. Well, our summer series on seven party personalities, I feel like um, it's a tongue twister. Like, (laughs) (laughs) do you have those growing up in South Africa, those silly things that school kids would say to try to twist their tongues? I feel like we've created one for ourselves, but it's so great. Seven party personalities for summer. We hope, friends, that these conversations have inspired you to celebrate, have more fun, go for it, gather people and do it in ways that are more meaningful and um, just right for you because we all have different personalities. And as we are learning here together this summer, our gatherings have different personalities. And so um, we are moving quickly through this series. Let me just recap for you. If um, you need it, I know Lisa Joe and I need it as we launch into the next conversation. We started out with the artist. Then we talked about the extrovert, the romantic. Remember those tea parties? Uh, the introvert. And then last week, you heard us talk about what may be one of my most favorite conversations um, because it is forward-looking, which is what I love to do. It's my favorite part of a party is the pre-planning and the dreaming. Last week, we talked about the wishful thinker. And Lisa, Joe, and I both put a very special date into our calendars for the year 2024. (laughs) And so this week is the second to last the penultimate conversation. This week's party personality is um, a word we might unpack for you because we have a special, I think, out of the ordinary twist on it. And that personality is the Epicurean. I just like everything about that word. I feel like, didn't we do an episode years ago where we just shared some of our favorite words? Oh, we did. Yeah. Epicurean. It it sounds the way it is. It sounds like something delicious you're rolling around in your mouth. I feel like those syllables, epicurean. So from dictionary.com, it says it's an adjective, someone who is fond of or adapted to luxury or indulgence in sensual pleasures, having luxurious tastes or habits, especially in eating 
or drinking. And I think it comes from um, people who are considered disciples of a guy whose name was Epicurus, and those sort of things were all really important to him. He was uh, a Greek philosopher, Epicurus, and he loved these pleasures of life, these sensual pleasures. And we want to unpack this word, of course, with our spin on it when it comes to our love for ordinary life. And we'd like to posit today that an Epicurean, which I think Christy and I would both identify as, is not just somebody who has very expensive tastes, but instead is somebody who is very good at savoring all kinds of ordinary, delicious moments, whether they are something you eat or drink, or you eat or drink them with your eyes, with your other senses. So, here's a great example. We live off of this long winding road called Forest Avenue, and it has these high, tall trees that line the road. And my children, when I die, will drive that road one day and hear their mother's voice because I have said every single season when we drive that road, if it's in spring, I will say, oh, the buds, the buds, the green, it's so beautiful. In the summer, I will say, it's so lush, it's so glorious. Look at the sun hitting the leaves. Look at the fields of yellow next to the road. In the fall, I can't get over the reds and blues and browns all mixed together from the sky and the trees. And then in winter, it's just like Narnia. You're just driving through avenues of frosted branches. So, for me, my senses just drink in, eat that street every time we drive down it. Um, so, of course, it's more literal eating and drinking too, but it's the ability to pause in an ordinary moment and just suck the life out of it. Mm-hmm. And I bet most of us have heard of a particular party that comes to mind for me that I think fits this definition. Um, if you have any familiarity with Japanese culture, they have a special party or season of parties, season of gatherings that is all revolving around the cherry blossoms. So the thing about cherry blossoms is they are so exquisitely beautiful, but they are also a fleeting flower. They, they are not a blooming all summer kind of thing like that. That is a spring ephemeral flower. And so in Japanese culture, it's a big deal to when, and, and, and you don't know exactly when they'll come into blossom. You don't know exactly when they'll be at the peak of their perfection and their beauty. And um, it's, it's tradition to, to whenever that moment comes to stop and to be present for that beauty and to celebrate with picnics under the blossoms. And I think we have our own little version of this. Um, that's a gift from Japan, actually, in Washington, D.C., where people go, you know, for the Cherry Blossom Festival, and they make a point to come and witness the blooming of those trees. Like, that's kind of what we're talking about with this party personality, that, that willingness to see what's happening and to, like, celebrate and appreciate Um, those sort of fleeting pleasures and to take the time to just welcome them into our lives. Um, So that could actually be a cherry blossom party. Now, of course, we're talking about seven summer party personalities. So it's not going to be cherry blossoms, but there are so many things like that. So I know I have always wanted to have and haven't done it yet, but here's the wishful thinker from last week. One day I will have um, some party 
some gathering um, in celebration of that moment when all the rose bushes like go mm. first like explode with flower, which is their even if they're going to bloom all summer, that's like their best, most beautiful, um, just most perfect moment of beauty. I've always wanted to just plan ahead just enough so that when that happens, I can like quickly get on the phone and tell people or send them an email, come, there's, it's starting, it's starting, come to my house, you know? <laughs> so that, that's what we're talking about. And um, but I do have a story of a really memorable party where um, I did something pretty close to that. And it's a party that um, I know our, our good friend, um, Lisa Joe, our good friend, Amy Knorr, um, who um, uh, is our um, chaplain and just, um, you know, community leader in our Blackboard Online community. She has told, she was at this party at my house and she has brought it up, like this was quite a few years ago. And she has brought it up a few times since to say that it is one of the most like memorable gatherings that, that she's experienced. Um, and I don't take, I don't take credit for that. It was more of um uh, of doing this kind of Epicurean thing, of sharing um, a love for some of like just the really rich gifts that ordinary life gives. So it was a midsummer party, midsummer Eve party, which means that um, on the evening of the longest day, um, following kind of that Nordic tradition of celebrating midsummer and celebrating the summer solstice. I had a party here at Maplehurst just for really just a few close friends, some other families with young kids. My kids were young at the time. But Lisa Joe, here's what we did at our party. Well, here's the main thing we did. We did a number of things. The main thing we did is we made flower crowns. Like I had all the supplies and I had the flower garden, had a big table spread out, and everyone was invited to cut flowers. We just cut everything we could, brought it to the table. And we all made these like party crowns of roses and lilies and just everything. Even the boys, even my sons. I have a, I have a great photo from that party of my son, Bo. Gosh, he was probably six at the time, seven maybe. And he's got this crown on his head of white lilies. Oh, how am I only hearing? This is a brand new story for me, which is very rare. I somehow can completely had never heard party crown story before yeah and I think it was my way so it wasn't like it wasn't like a cherry blossom thing in the sense it wasn't like this precise moment when um, you know the garden was at its most perfect or anything like that it was really just that wanting to like stop and appreciate that particular day where um, the the daylight would last the longest, just that longest day and that start of, you know, kind of official start to summer. It was, it was just my desire to like gather people around that in order to just pay attention to that, in order to just pay attention to the fact that this was the day with the most daylight. And then, I don't know, maybe inspired by Tasha Tudor, who we've mentioned before. <laughs> she was so great at making parties beautiful and celebrating the garden. And yeah, I just had this idea that it would be fun to, to make flower crowns together, something I had never done. I had no experience doing it. I was like looking up tutorials ahead of time and you could do it in complicated ways or simple ways. And I just made sure I had like the scissors and some, some wire that we could like um, form into, you know, circle shapes for our heads. And, you know, we kept it really easy. Oh, I, floral tape, which is super easy to use and can help you like 
bundle up um, little bunches of flowers. Actually, Lisa Jo, I'm remembering, I did not intend to say this, but hold on. Do you remember in my book, Garden Maker? I'm holding it here now. <laughs> I have a little mini tutorial on how to make yes. a flower crown and a really, really gorgeous picture of Elsa wearing um, a flower crown of roses that we made together. So, you know, if you need a little help, just pick up your cart, your um, copy of Garden Maker. But really, really, I think what makes this kind of Epicurean party so memorable is that it does have this focus. It has, it, it focuses our attention on something special, something beautiful, something flavorful. So I could imagine a, a party like this celebrating summer strawberries and everything is, you know, strawberry themed or a harvest party at the end of summer where everyone is bringing, you know, good food that maybe they grew themselves or got from a farmer's market. Like there could be so many versions of this kind of party that is focusing our attention in a grateful way on some really special gift of ordinary life of which let's be honest, summer is so full of these gifts. It's such an abundant season. The last time I remember really being gathered in a place where the flavors, sort of the sensual experience of it are deeply imprinted on me was of course at your house (laughs) in the black barn the December before 2020, so 2019. And I, I probably think about the meat that you cooked. I, and I feel like it was like braised. I don't even know how to describe it. If you remember what. Oh, did we have carnitas? No, we. Oh, short ribs. Yes. So yes. we gathered with a group of friends, very small. There are maybe six of us. Is that right? One, One two, two, three, three. five. There are five of us. Five of us. Mm-hmm. Five friends who were writers, and we were gathered to talk about writing. We came together for a weekend at Maplehurst. So it was already in that way focused on the experience of what writers try to do is capture the senses, right? In words. And then Christy had planned this menu of food that really did feel like out of one of my favorite Louise Penny novels because it was so delicious. And the meal that has stuck with me, its it was in the barn. It was during winter. So we had a wood fire going in the barn, a small table that always had candles lit on it. And the mashed potato and the short ribs to this day might be one of the best things I've ever put in my mouth. I, I, I cannot, I don't understand how you achieved that level of tenderness and flavor. But I remember everybody having that moment of first bites where you just, it almost feels like it's so decadent because it's so ordinary like you're just sitting there gathered with friends but we're eating food that feels like we should be at a five-star french restaurant or something like how are we allowed in our sweatpants to be eating this beautiful meal there's something about it and i think it's because when somebody else serves in that way like who shows up and like brings this gift to the table that just is I think when I think of Epicureanism, it's the sense of bounty. There's just this feeling of abundance that doesn't mean a lot necessarily. I think it's like a richness of the flavor, but of the experience, the people you're sharing the experience with. It's because it's not like every meal forever that way, right? Like the reason why it's so special is because it's only these two days Mm -hmm. of gathering and eating in this way. But 
that for me was one of the most Epicurean weekends I've ever had from the aperitifs to the afternoon tea times to the breakfast bar that had like from yogurt to granola to bacon and eggs. I just everything about that experience felt like an abundance of ordinary elevated. Mm, oh gosh, I remember that now too. I wouldn't have thought of it, but yeah, that was a lot of fun for me to plan those menus and, and to, to execute them and share them with, with that group. That was really special. And I think something I'll say about this Epicurean idea is that it doesn't have to be something that is non-repeatable, like cherry blossoms, like the, the roses just flowering. It could be something like this. So that short rib recipe you're remembering, um, like I could make it now if I wanted to. I could make it this weekend. I could run to the grocery store or the butcher shop and find some short ribs and cook them for hours, which is how you get that, you know, that tender flavor and so on. Like I could do that, but I won't. Not I wouldn't even think of it because it's summertime and I don't cook those short ribs in summertime. Like that is something to from in my mind, something to savor on a cold night when you can have a fire and you have some special friends gathering, you know, that to me is like a holiday meal or, but you know, just a special winter meal. And I feel like maybe like I'm wired that way, but I could imagine some people saying like, well, if it's good, why not have it all the time? Like, why not make it once a month? Why not make it for every special event? Like, why not more? Right. If it's good, then more of it should always be better. Right. And to that, I say no. <laughs> and this is, <laughs> I think, another element you. of this Epicurean party personality is that there is um, somehow woven into the experience are these limits. So a cherry blossom party has this limit of like, you just have to be ready to go when the cherry trees go. Um, and you cannot have that kind of experience in August. You just can't. And that is what makes it so precious. That is what makes it so special. That's what makes the party worthwhile. Um, the flower crowns, similar. No matter how much I want to, I cannot have that kind of party in February. And, and that is okay. That is not a bad thing. And if there are these natural limits, then we can cultivate other kinds of limits. And that isn't a bad word. That isn't um, a, a negative thing. It's actually a life-giving thing. And, um, and, you know, of course, we could take it too far, um, we could take anything too far, <laughs> but within reason, within balance, to have certain limits around um, how we gather people and what we serve and, and all of it, like, it's a good thing. It helps certain gatherings be what they are. Um, I think that also applies, and I'm going to take us even in another direction for a minute here, that even applies to um, the people we invite. So we have described all these different parties and different party personalities, but here's the thing. If you don't think through your invitations, if you just invite everyone you know to everything, you will not serve your guests. You will not create special parties. For instance, um, if you're going to be the romantic and have a tea party, you need to think ahead of time. How many teacups do I have? <laughs> How many teapots do I have? And then invite that number of people and just like you inviting those girls and their moms and their, those little girls to your royal wedding watch party like you thought through that list you didn't just invite everyone you knew you thought who is this for and then in inviting those people the gathering could be its best self and what it was meant to be 
Um, there's a really good book called The Art of Gathering. I believe that's what it's called. Um, we'll have to stick a, a link in the show notes so you can find it too. And I remember, it's been a few years since I read it, but I remember, I think she actually begins the book with this kind of audacious claim that that parties, <laughs> like one of the most important ways we make an effective, good gathering is by not including everyone, which is so counter to how we normally think. Um, but actually, if you invite everyone to everything, then it's not, you're not going to be able to give the people who are there exactly the best thing that you want to give them. So you're, you're always thinking about who, who is invited in and who isn't. And that that isn't about rejection. That isn't about not welcoming people. It's actually about how to welcome people well. So if you invite everyone to your tea party and then you don't have a teacup for them, you are not <laughs> welcoming people well, right? We know that. And, um, and so there, there's something about this Epicurean party that I think, you know, gives us a chance to think about that aspect of gathering as well, that it's not only about seizing a moment, but it's about thinking carefully about who we invite and how do we serve them, particularly in the gathering. And so that flower crown party on Midsummer's Eve, for in my mind, was a whimsical party that I wanted to give to children. So that's why I invited families I knew who had young kids and the party was really geared toward them. Even though like I can remember thinking like, wow, am I really going to let all these little kids loose in my flower garden with scissors? (laughs) (laughs) Like running with scissors and cutting all my flowers. But that was that slight risk was one I wanted to take because this is who the party was for. And I wanted these kids to have that sense of like, being let loose in a candy store that's actually a flower garden and being able to just pick what, and I told them like, cut it, you know, if you see something pretty flowering, cut it and bring it back to this table and we'll work with it. And that's who it was for. And so that's who I invited. And I mean, and by contrast, we're going to have parties where it's not for kids. So I think it's just a good way if you're listening to this and sort of feeling a hesitation, like, what does she mean? Like that's, you don't invite everybody. Well, that's the whole point. Sometimes you want a party with lots of kids. Like I wanted for my royalty and Christy wanted for her flower garden crown party. But then there have been other events where we don't have our children. We don't bring them. Like we leave them at home on purpose. Like (laughs) the same is going to go with a dinner party where there are only eight you want, but then you're going to have other events like my 50th where I want everybody, but the the everybody I want are the everybody related to me that I know in real life. But then we'll have other events like Christy's garden party where she wanted everybody who's local to the community, whether she's met them in person or or not like it's that intentionality and I think maybe the last Epicurean event I can think of of course they're all related to you Christy I have some from South Africa but this one is a special I think it's a fun one to share with our listeners too we did a party where we could invite everyone because it was virtual so we were in Christy's kitchen and we picked our favorite author Louise Penny who writes mystery novels but one of the things she does so well I mean I think of her as a is a classic Epicurean, is she describes all these foods and drinks and gatherings of friends that aren't big fancy parties. They're usually just like, we're coming over to your house for dinner. And then they all bring like amazing things. They have one friend who makes beautiful flower arrangements just for their their regular dinners, you know. But we picked some of our favorite recipes that they talk about in these books and Christy made them. So whether it was uh, sort of a summer lemonade, whether 
whether it was a special guacamole dip that had like apple and avocado and pineapple in it or the chocolate mousse that was for dinner. We shared about the books. We showed the making of these dishes while live streaming. And in that case, it was on behalf of Compassion International to the people invited to the party were people who sponsored kids. So there, there again, like the intentionality of who was invited and yet the experience, the food, the focus was on these flavors and tastes and elevating completely ordinary things to this very romantic, beautiful, delicious, tasty, unexpected experience. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that one. I'm remembering now that I made a cold, because of the summer, a cold cucumber yes. melon soup, which oh, was one so of these recipes. And that is something, I mean, here's another Epicurean thing. I, I've never made that before. I have never made it since, like it was for that party. And I remember being surprised by how delicious it was. And so I think this party personality is also a chance to sort of go overboard, to not make your usual foods, to not do your party in your usual way, but to think outside the box and maybe make that cold cucumber melon soup that you've, <laughs> you, you've never <laughs> you've never made before um, in order to appreciate um, something unexpected and, and something special and uh, oh my goodness I really hope that some of our listeners Lisa Joe will take this idea and run with it and I can't wait to see what and who and which flavors and what time of year they choose to celebrate with their own Epicurean celebration party. And if you do, please tag us on Instagram. We love, love, love seeing these ideas come to life. I am at Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm at Christy Purifoy. And if you love these episodes, share them, tell your friends about them, turn the podcast into a party, leave a review. All of these things help other people find us and connect with us. And on that note, next week is our very last in this series of seven party personalities, The Connector. Meet you back here then.